The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Rejection. To give you uh, a little bit of the story of how this became such a uh, intimate message for me to communicate through the years. Um, many years ago, I, my wife and I were working at an institution called Handicap Village, and we basically were first-level social workers to assist the handicap, the inferiority the cowardly behavior, to call it what it is, that I had going on in my life was, was uh, immense. And so I was afraid of everything. I could not go into 7-Eleven to buy a pack of gum. I could not stand in front of a pulpit to give my testimony, which I was asked to do because of the trauma behind my testimony, and the first time I was asked to give my testimony, I asked the pastor, I said, now, you need to make sure there's a glass of water, it's a pulpit where they cannot see through and see my knees. And I had all these conditions, standards, to give my testimony of God. Well, it was fear. Well, it's a shame because when I got cotton mouth, I... I couldn't get the cup of water. They didn't have bottled water back then. I'm starting to date myself. I couldn't even take my sip to, to get the cotton out of my mouth. And there was no way I was going to stray away from the pulpit. So I couldn't hold the microphone, so I had to make sure he had one of those microphone holder things. So I was a truck wreck. Filled with standards. Standards comes from fear. Fear comes from rejection. You with me? So guys, this could be very offensive message for you, or it could really rattle you, loosen up the stuff that you need to let go of. Those fears cause you to set standards on yourself and others and even God. I had demands on God just like I did those pastors. I was a huge coward. You know, Paul said something to the Corinthian church. And Paul was struggling with a little bit of a... Okay, it was a big weakness. He was known for being a bragger. Bragger, bragger. He was quick to admit it. He was quick to admit it was his greatest sin. Was bragging. So God decides, God, of course, decides to appoint something on poor Paul. You guys remember what it was? I have to ask questions so I can take a drink. Coffee gives me cotton mouth, so I'm doing good here. A messenger of Satan to buffet him. 
he appealed to God three times that this demon would leave him alone. Does anyone know what a messenger of Satan is other than a demon? Can we emergenize this thing real nice like here? Call it something else so we don't offend anyone? It was a demon. Because of the arrogance, there was this demon, a messenger of Satan, assigned to Paul to keep me, Paul, from exalting myself. Therefore, I entreated the Lord three times that it may part from me. Paul and I are on the same wavelength. Been there, done that, Paul, many times. I knew what this messenger of Satan was. I didn't have to study it. It's a very evil feeling to be buffeted. And it was appointed. Well, Paul wanted it to leave him alone, right? He appealed to God three times that it may part him. And of course, Christ comes back with, I don't know if you know the significance of this, guys. We've got a red letter Bible, you probably already do, but this is 91 AD. And red letters. Not a conversation. Jesus shows up and says a one-liner. I said, God, I want to be like that man with Christ in him, living that kind of a life of wisdom, knowing the mystery. Really? Do you realize that in increasing wisdom, there's increasing pain? Do you realize that in increasing knowledge of the holy, there's more grief? I don't care. I just want want what that guy's got. Well, that doesn't work with cowards. It just doesn't. You can't put a coward in the midst of persecution. So I was in a bad fix. I got on the phone. I called Chuck Solomon, the author of the book, The Ins and Out of Rejection. There had not been, to our knowledge, I know Christian writings are only a couple generations old, but there were no books on explaining rejection on the market. So his book, Ins and Out of Rejection, was probably one of the first. Well, see, I had a problem. I couldn't read. And so when I had this friend give me his first book, Handbook to Happiness, which was a book explaining the exchange life, I was fascinated by the cover. And so I ramped up learning how to read better and better and better. In fact, the Handbook to Happiness by Dr. Charles Solomon was the first book I read cover to cover my entire life. So I call out to Denver, and I'm in Iowa, and I asked for Chuck, and he happened to be there. And I said, hey, I got the handbook to happiness read. And it, it, I was all excited because, you know, it was my first book or whatever. And he's like, okay, all right. Like, okay, all right. This thing is changing my life. Okay, all right. Well, he was an engineer, you know, black and white kind of guy. If you read or have read any of his writings, you'll know that. 
And that's why I told him after he asked me to be his successor a couple of years ago, I said, you know, I'm going to have to rewrite everything you got. Because <laughs> only intellectuals and engineers can understand it. It's kind of a laugh between the two of us. So he, I said, what's next? He said, you, you need to read my book, Ins and Out of Rejection. So he sends it to me. Wow. It took me several weeks to get through half of a chapter. It was messing with my mind. Called out there. Chuck was on a trip. I got a hold of a guy by the name of Lee LeFaber and... Any of Lee's disciples are listening, you'll understand the quality of this man walking me through very gracefully, gently through how to get through this rejection book. Here's what he said to me. I want you to read one paragraph at a time, get your Bible, look up every single uh, Bible verse that is referenced in the paragraph, Pray over the paragraph, move to the next paragraph. And Lee LeFaber, I do that technique to this very day. I don't put the primary author in as the primary author. It's the scriptures that changed lives. So I did that. And I got the message of rejection. And I was so excited with Jean. She's going to come and share her testimony here in a little bit. I got so excited and was telling Jane about this whole rejection thing. And, you know, I said, Lee told me to send her away to her folks for a long weekend. And I was going to get through this book in one weekend, and you know, which was a big deal for me doing this technique that he suggested. So when I ended up quitting my job in... Kansas, I mean uh, Iowa, and moving to Denver. We are not, neither one of us are from city, so it was a huge challenge. And start going through the intern program at Grace Fellowship in Denver. When they cracked open that manual, because they have their version of what you're about to see, and they started walking the interns through this as trainees, life came out of me. And I was able to share with them from an evil demonic perspective of coming out of that fear and cowardly deeds of my flesh to truly understanding that here's the verse of where Paul goes with this. When Jesus said, does anyone want to Quote, remember what he said in this passage in Corinthians after he dealt with the whole thing about entreating the Lord three times that it may part from him. Jesus responds in red letters with, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. I didn't know a bigger coward in fact, I don't even, all these years of ministering to people, I have never met anyone that was as big a coward as I was. I call it what it is. I was a coward. Shamed of the gospel. And guess what? I'm opposite of all that. Opposite. Completely opposite. 
I like to go and speak in places where people don't like to go. I like to go. I went into a prison in Kampala with, and a riot broke out and 21 people got killed. I've got stories to tell you of the opposite of that coward. My flesh is cowardly. It's gone now, right? No, it's not. Satan can call me to it any hour of any day. If I don't understand who I am in Christ, that rejection pattern will consume me. So let's take a look at this nasty little ugly thing. It's like a cancer. Cowardly cancer. Rejection is inevitable. When we react to being rejected, it causes many negative consequences in our lives, but primarily by using our Godship patterns that get put in us by our mommies and daddies. Yes, you can blame your mother and father for this. Blame them, because it's their fault. Okay? I tried that. And then my mother turned around. It's my father's fault. That's who it is. He's dead. Yeah, really? Come on now. It was my father's fault. And it just rolls its way all the way back to our precious father, Adam. You say, well, I thought it was Eve who first sinned. Oh, yes, she did, but God always goes after the leaders. Guys, we're going to discover that very soon. Call me wacky, but in the Hebrew, I know I'm not. Men are responsible for the sins of their entire household. We are. Sin falls on us. So why did Christ come as the groom to bear our sins, the bride? Because it's Hebrew design. So if you think you can get away with the blame game, have fun while you can. Because guys, your day is coming to an end. We will face the living God for all the sins committed in our household. Does that mean he's going to let Eve get away with something? No. But we'll have to face it. It's a serious deal to God. And it comes from our parents. And then when Satan puts this rejection cycle in front of us, he knows we're going to reach down, grab into that toolbox and start setting standards. Pastor, you need to make sure I have a glass of water on the pulpit. You need to make sure it's a pulpit that people can't see through. You need to make sure that, you know, whatever. Standard setting. Demanding absolute obedience. Well, I don't have a pulpit like that. Or I don't, you know. Well, then I'm not coming to speak for you. I've entertained as an assistant a lot of very famous people. Their standards are absolutely nauseating. Before they'll entertain or preach from a pulpit. I can't judge them. I've been there. I've done that. They're trying to protect themselves. Our verse, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you. 
That's a little difficult when they're slapping you in the face. For each of us, here's what we're supposed to do as disciples, is to list out all those rejection consequences, rejection reactions, and so we can set them up to do something about it. Here's the rejection cycle. You have this person, this hothead, who's going to make the decision to hurt your feelings. Now, first things first, of course. Could someone please explain to me where these feelings are? Is it part of the Trinity? Feelings or hormones? And if you are out of or beside yourself on a regular basis, my wife and I are very quick, and so is Mary now and others who have learned how powerful hormones are to stability of humans. When I had heart failure a little over four years ago, after I survived the initial heart failure and they got my heart stabilized, and I was down to 11% infraction ratio, which is heart replacement level. And Janie wanted me to go see this hormone specialist. And so I went and saw Trudy and she was talking to me. You know, of course, I had my blood levels checked and she's getting ready to read the results to me. And she said, you should be dead. This kind of levels will give you heart failure. It'll stop your heart. You see, we've called these hormones feelings. God and the scripture doesn't address feelings. Emotions are your hormones supporting your decisions. And if you're excited about chocolate cake, which I can get kind of excited about chocolate cake, it's my hormones supporting a decision my mind has made to like chocolate cake. So when you hear the word chocolate cake, I'm like, it starts activating everything in my body. You see? It's a thought. There's nothing in the scripture that says Christ is going to come and renew your emotions. There is scripture that says, for he will renew your mind. Keep that in mind, but feelings are a part of our society, so I'm going to use the word. The hothead comes in and rejects me and says, you know, I really hate you. I despise you. Back in my cowardly days, I'd be like, oh, man, I'd lose sleep over that. I'd be like, someone hates me. Someone hates me. I've been here all my life. Why is this bothering me? You know, I have confessions of my brother trying to murder me twice. Seriously, try to murder me. As a pastor, he came and confessed to me the stuff he did to try to kill me. He hated my guts. I'm like, Pat, I looked up to you like like my dad. What's up with that? And he got hostile right on the spot. He says, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not your father. Well, you know, my dad was kind of gone. I needed a dad. 
I didn't hate him, but he hated me. The list goes on and on and on. We all have colorful lists. So now I am an adult, and when that slight rejection comes in, I start thinking and feeling I'm not loved anymore. This guy doesn't love me. This Muslim guy doesn't love me. Okay. Okay, he's not supposed to love you. That's not true. Stay with me on this, folks, because I'm telling you, this one little principle I'm sharing with you can completely rearrange your thought pattern about love. Here I am struggling with this guy who's supposed to hate me. And why is this bothering me? Because he doesn't love me. Someone please tell me the only biblical definition of love. The beloved of Jesus easily found that answer and shared it with us in 1 John. What's that? God is love. So let me get this straight, Stephen. You want me to have an antichrist God-hater say, I got you. You want to accept God from him? What? Totally changed the way I functioned. I'm expecting people to give me God that hate God? What is that? I want people to love me with their God? Really? It's idolatry. If I didn't get a handle on this rejection thing, it was going to eat me alive. I was going to expect people to give God to me because I am God. I deserve that. Probably not. Knowing what love is, is critical. Knowing what feelings are, is critical. Knowing the definition of terms is critical. Or I'm going to walk around saying stuff like, you made me feel that way. You make me feel ugly. You make me feel sad. You make me feel, and all of those statements are lies from the pit of hell. Nothing is true about it. Nobody makes people feel anything. It's your hormones. Go get your hormones checked. And once I know you go and got your hormones checked, I'm going to check your thought life. Now that we can do something with. Your belief system. Stephen, do you believe I am he? Why didn't God say, Stephen, I know how you're feeling, and it's going to sound a little bit emergent, but I love you. I love you just the way you are, and this computer is not going to affect your conference. No. Stephen, do you believe I am he? Why would God take time talking about computers? You see? That is a tool to be used to let God do what he does. So it comes in. I start having these feel sorry for me stuff going on. I choose to allow these my thoughts and feelings to control me. 
It's affecting my breathing. It could be affecting me slapping back. It could affect me in lots of ways. It goes in and grabs my God chip toolbox tools. And I start tossing those babies back. And it activates another number one. Because they're going to insult me back. And then another number two. Then another number three. And it creates this vicious cycle that we call the rejection cycle. And you invert that thing. And you've got yourself a tornado. Going through life destroying relationships. And Satan sits back and goes, man, this thing works so well. Which one of my demons came up with this uh, rejection cycle thing? That was a good one. Because it will kill relationships. Because you have to protect yourself from evil. Good luck. Because there are no laws to protect a woman, a man, a child, your business. You'll learn, you'll learn this very soon someday. I work with brothers and sisters who have no rights to claim. They can take your arm, your leg, your, your bride, your children, sell them off to a market. They can do anything they want as a persecutor and there's nothing you can do. No rights. Take them to court. They'll laugh at you. That's the majority of the world. Well, we can embrace Jesus saying, do not resist him who is evil. But if they slap you on the right cheek, turn to them the left as well. No, we can't. We sue them. Divorce is a lawsuit. We sue them. Divorcing a friendship, we sue them. We put profit into it. For you shall know where a man's heart is by where his treasures are. Okay. People who are used to striving after wealth, Jesus has a different kind of attitude with them. Rich man, sit down. And what does he do in a split 30 seconds? He takes it right to the core and says, hmm, so you would like all this stuff we're talking about here, right? Okay. Hmm. Tell you what. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then come talk to me. Walks away. I mean, like... Hello, one-liners are one thing, but this, this, is, this is ridiculous. You want me to sell everything I've got? Do you not know who I am? I've got towers of grain. Do you not know who I am? Yeah, I know exactly who you are. Sell it or be gone. That's rude. I mean, Jesus was just rude. I have done this thing, which I was counseled to do years ago, and that's put every single story of Jesus on a separate piece of paper and pray over it. He's rude. 
overall, Jesus is just rude. He is not the Jesus I hear preached about in the emergent church today. No, he's not. He's rude. But with the ones who loved him, gave his God back to him, understood that exchange, there was no rudeness out of his mouth. To his bride, he was the most gentle, sweet, caring, graceful husband you could think of. Satan wants us sucked into this death zone, this living death, so that we do not appropriate what I just said to you. Two kinds of rejection going on here, page 52 in your workbooks, and this is diagram R102 for you online people. Two types of rejection. First is obvious, overt, known rejection. I hate you. Physical abuse, name-calling, outward actions of dislike or hate. Melissa, what's true hatred? So if someone's upset at you showing hormones, what's that? They, they're caring. So there's caring there. It's when there's just obvious, just, almost as if they don't exist to you. True hatred is this. Oh, well. It's ambivalence. Now I'm all excited about my faith and they're like, Okay. Are we done here? It's like that gal on Kurt Cameron's new documentary on the Noah movie. All the people that came out of that theater, this is over several days, 99.9% of the people they interviewed, 90 out of that 99.9%, because there's a 1% I'm going to tell you about, um, believed, isn't that how Shannon was, that believed that Noah did exist? Or was he going more for the flood? That what? And then out of that... If they actually believed, the next question was if they actually believed there was a flood. And it went from that down to, do you remember the percentage? I should probably get these if I'm going to use the story. And then there was one gal, and she was a self-proclaimed atheist. There was that 0.9 plus one thing. And she was, the words that were used, that she was a comfortable atheist she was the only one out of the whole bunch that showed hatred my opinion it's like well, you can believe whatever you want to believe it doesn't affect me don't you realize you're going to hell if you okay you're one of those comfortable with I hate God he doesn't exist that's hatred. And that is covert rejection. 
Someone getting in your face saying, I hate you, is confused love. When someone does this, you want to step into it and offer the other cheek because they're showing you that they're agitated enough to have a desire to try to process what you just said to them. You step into it. Stay close to them. But in America, when you get one of these, they're like, that's it, I'm contacting the police. They go over and they grab their phones, 911. I just got slapped by my neighbor. That's what we do in America. We keep the cops busy, huh, Chris? But that's not how it is in God's world. It isn't. And he wants to show us why. These people are the toughest to deal with. And that is, if their parents, they won't discipline their kids, and the kids are running wild in the neighborhood, keep the police busy again. And this covert stuff is just horrible to deal with because they're just as loose as melting jello. They don't even bother to come out and say, you know, I hate you. They just like, I'm leaving. You don't even know if you got rejected. You don't know why they're upset. Covert liars are absolutely the most dangerous people that walk the face of the earth because they won't even tell you that they're liars. But the overt type, bring them on. I hate you. You disgust me. I despise you. I'm like, yes. I want to get right in that jungle with them. I want them to use their proof. I have murdered men like you. I've, you know, I'm like, yes. Well, see, what am I really asking for is, when I go to Liberia here in a few months, Lester already knows, as I've asked him, he's my director over there, I said, I want you to take me to these men. I want to meet them. I want to meet the ones that are so upset at us and what we're doing. As well as I want to meet the president. She wants to meet me too, but it's not just the negative it's the positive. I'm going to get right where that hatred is because I know it's confused love. But if someone just gets up out of a conference and walks out, which I've had a share of that through my, my years in ministry, I don't want him here. I don't want him here. That's hate. That's the most cowardly deed there is, and that is really. And it's arrogance. You see, I was there. It's fear. They don't want to listen. They don't want to have to embrace something that's very difficult. Here is a result of someone who suffered a lot of rejection. This is internal stuff that gets in there. This is the satanic list that is needed for Satan to get his job done. I'm filled with self-pity. Oh, woe is me. They may not talk like that when they're with you. Sometimes people do. Do you have any friends that are like that? They're really pleasant to hang out with. (laughs) Seriously. It's like, oh boy, I get worn out just going to lunch with you. 
Oh, what was me? What was me? Three Christians. There's only three that I know of. They're on the cross. They stay there. And it's, oh, Lord, Lord, God, Lord, God, God, Lord, Father, 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 Lord, God. Bleeding, I'm just so tired. And they hurt me, Lord. Look at them, they're spitting at the cross. How long do I get to hang here? What? Until I die? That's rude. Then I have the second Christian. They're in the tomb of darkness. The Americans call it depression. And they're in the tomb in the darkness. And they're like, so afraid. They can't sleep at night. And they're all caught up in the stuff that is carved on the walls of the tomb. And they're just bound by this. i got to stay in the tomb. They like dark, cold, secure places. So they push people out. Leave me alone in here. Don't you dare roll that stone away. But Christ redeemed you out of this dark place. Not really. And then there's the third one. Seated at the right hand of God, looking down through the clouds onto this tiny little pea that that we call earth, paradise. And we're viewing life's problems from an earthly position, not a heavenly position. Seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Love. I am. He. Stephen. What else matters? I am He. And I put you on the... My, my right... Well, I'd be this way, I guess. Better get my directions on. My right hand with my son. For he is now the great I am. And Stephen, then I, I put him inside you. And then I put you inside him. And then I hid both of you in me. Don't believe me? Study Colossians chapter 3. It's in there. And so you really think Satan can get at you? I am not a liar. What I do is not a lie. What I do is not a joke. What I do is permanent. What I do is immovable. What I do is who I am. Don't try deceiving me with your little identity statements of I am stupid. I am nothing. I can't do. Do not anymore bring these before my throne. I am he. This stuff is the list that Satan calls on. Emotional insulation, fear of being hurt again, and uh, I'm never going to amount to anything, or self-suicide emotionally first. You can't get you to pull the gun until you've been walking around suicide victim for at least 10, 20 years. Then you'll pull the trigger. All because of this. 
clinging to someone who finally accepts you the way you are. Please don't ever accept my flesh. Don't. Don't do me a favor and treat me nice when my flesh is stinky, raunchy, nasty, and offensive. In fact, it literally crucified my husband. Don't compliment me on the darkness that needed to die with Christ. Don't do it. When you compliment me, it should compliment Christ. Because it is him in me that does the doing through me. So I get no joy and credit. The joy and credit I get is in sharing of his holiness. Hebrews 12. Well, not if I got that stuff going on. Because the only result of a person like that is like, hey, you know, if you don't take care of me and speak to me nicely, I'm just going to go kill myself. And the way I handle all suicide victims is, go get her done. Sounds rude. But I know what Jesus said, is he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life becomes ambivalent about it. He who hates his life will gain life. He who thinks he's something is going to be nothing. He who thinks he's nothing shall be the greatest among you. Who's first is going to be put in last place. News in last place. I'll put in first place. I said the worst thing they did to Mother Teresa is made her famous. They ruined her. But how she took that on for herself, only her and God know. Which is, I'm assuming she parted with, hopefully, Christ in her. Making her a good person did not give her heavenly placement. We have awards we like to give people like that. Well, you better get them here because you're not going to get them on the other side. Christ is the one that shall receive the great award. He looks at his bride and he says, Good job, faithful bride. I'm well pleased. But how can you get all the credit, Jesus? Come on now, share a little. Any credit my husband gets... I get. What you do unto the least of these, my brethren, he says, you do unto me. So that means all of his praises too. We share with our husband. But it is his. So reacting, that inner stuff goes outward by reacting to the people around us who we perceive to hurting us or rejecting us. So page 54 clearly lists out our reaction list. Give little to guidance, may abuse them physically, emotionally, refuse to communicate, distrust, the list goes on and on and on. This is just a short list. So it starts in here, Satan gets it planted in here, written on the tablets of our hearts. Then it comes out as action, and once it comes out as action, I can guarantee you're going to get clubbed again. Rejection loves rejection. Abuse Loves abuse. So they just couldn't figure it out for the longest time why surveys showed that 90% of the women abused by men would break their own lawsuits of agreement of orders of protection. 
they would stand there and provoke the abuser and get abused and knowing he was going to go off on her. They just couldn't figure that out. Why is she doing this? Why doesn't she just leave him alone? Rejection loves rejection. Abuse loves abuse. Our flesh loves it. And if you cannot get your arms around that and say, well, that's certainly not me, it'd take me an hour or two to be with you to go through your rejection story, but I could probably get to the sword very quick enough to show you whatever you hate, you're doing to somebody. Judge not, brother, at least you be judged in the like fashion in which you judge. When someone is harsh with me and saying this and that and whatever about me, I'm like, it's a matter of time, bro. You should not have said that. And sure enough, two years, three years, four years down the road, and I'm hearing stuff about that person was the very stuff they said to me. Does that mean I'm special? No, Jesus said he was not joking. Judge not, lest you be judged in the like fashion in which you judge. Stick rejection in there. The word rejection still works. Reject not, unless you want to be rejected in the like fashion in which you're rejected. We become these things. Then we start dumping it on God. We resist God's authority. Unable to trust God, view God as a tyrant, angry with God, reject God, have little fellowship or communion with Him, or unable to simply receive God's love, which is receive God. (coughs) There's where Satan and his little demon leaders sat around his table and go, we can do this one. The way we can get them not to receive God... Since Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God, the way we get them to resist them receiving God is to go off of a different definition of love. That'll do it. When I am about to make love with my wife and I say I love you, both of us know that we are saying to each other, I give God to you this moment. That's how intimate God is. The Hebrew definition, words that are used for sexual intimacy is what? To know. Our highest calling is to what again? To know him. Sex is a physical demonstration of salvation. No, that's not what the uh, little demon team put together. The little demon team put together, let's make this about pleasure and about glorified masturbation. And they put this whole list together that had nothing to do with knowing God. And what's the big sin that brings leaders down, whether they're saved, unsaved, emergent or not emergent? It's always about sexual sins. Yeah, I agree. 
Who do they want to know? They want to know themselves better, it's masturbation. They want to know someone else better, it is adultery. And they simply don't care because they hate all humans. Female, male, shim, transvestite, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. You see? They've got a great plan. The reason why I know it's a great plan because it's working. They have the lion's share of numbers working their plan for them. And those on Christ's team and Him crucified, for I, Paul, determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I do not come to you with eloquent speech. I come to you fearful and trembling. Here the greatest thinker in the entire world, Paul, the greatest Pharisee among them all, the most arrogant man in the entire world, is shaking when he's talking to people. You know, I kind of look at that guy and go, Wow, you've really come a long way, Paul. And Delhi opens his mouth. I read about Paul and I weep. I know that fear. I know that arrogance. I know that protection. I, I know that man. And when I asked for the mysteries, to understand those mysteries he was telling the Corinthian church about, I was serious. I want to know these mysteries he's talking about through spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. I want to see miracles in this mystery. And God clearly warned me of the grief. He clearly warned me of the pain. And I did reply with, I want this. And he gave it to me. And I'm telling you, a prophet is not wanted in his hometown. I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid. I know I'm not popular in this town. And I'm okay with that. Because I know what God's doing in countries and homes and villages. Not through me, through Christ. That's the kind of work I want to be a part of. Hate me, dislike me, despise me. Yo, we'll do this. Because nothing that you say will change his vision, his purpose, his identity in me. Can't. I may falter from day to day or not day to day, but your frail opinions cannot change the mind of Christ. He doesn't emergently kowtow to you because he's afraid of losing your favor. Throw me up. He doesn't need my favor. I need his. And the only place I know in the New Testament where he talks about getting his favor is where? First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable and harsh. For when you bear up 
when suffering in doing what is right, you gain God's favor. What good is there if you are doing what is right and are not harshly treated? For what favor is this? In other words, you want to get God's favor? You need to embrace rejection. You need to invite it in. You need to step into it. Lester, we need to get into that jungle. But it's dangerous. Oh, really? Come on now. You see, once you say, I believe, the miracle can come. To have my moment back, there was nothing to probably most people, of course, because hopefully you're in worship and didn't even notice. But to have it done on me, there's probably a master volume switch because it was driving me crazy that people like loud worship music and I can't get it there for them because my sound card went out. And I'm standing there and I'm worshiping and all of a sudden I hear him. Just check the master volume. And so I I didn't even know the equipment was in there because Q got this set up and opened up and I go, wow, the volume's way down on this thing. And I cranked it up. Shannon comes to me last night and I'm not, I can't even imagine what I look like. Because it was a, quite a battle over this thing over here. And he says, did you pray? I wanted to slap him. <laughs> I, I did. I'm like, how dare you ask that? I'm a man of God. <laughs> but see, my prayers were kind of like, oh, really, God? And he's probably going, oh, really, Steve? How many times we got to go through this? But he was right. It was this morning my heart got right. Q says to me before he leaves, he says, you just need to go away and sleep on this. Oh, really, Q? I've got people coming here in the morning. I've got to stay up all night. I told Mary I'll be here all night figuring this thing out. That's my flesh. Success at all costs. God is interested in something else out of me. That rejection comes in whether it's demonic or whether it's human. It comes in and it starts playing around with number one going, I don't love you. I hate you. Those feelings you're having are true. And I'm over here going, shit, it's taking these blows. You know, I'm like, I'm going to break here. I'm going to break. I'm being Christ-like for now. Well, if it's not Christ taking the blows, I am going to snap. But if it's Christ in me doing that, turning the other cheek, turning the other cheek, turning the other cheek, when it gets down to number two, I'm going to go, this is not who I am. I'm not buying into these lies anymore. The scriptures tell me that I'm holy, chosen, blameless, loved, adopted, accepted, redeemed, and forgiven. That's who I am. The rejection message is simple. It's not what can I do to get over it. It's not what can I do to deal with it. It is to embrace it and invite it. 
Do not resist him who is evil. If someone slaps you, turn to the other. That takes close personal contact. Why? If you read the end of Matthew 5, you're going to get the answer. God's goal is to turn your enemy into a friend. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.